0: Several weeks ago, I challenged everybody in church to a 90-day experiment. Now, if you want to join now, it's not going to be 90 days, probably more like 50 or something. But anyhow, what it is is an experiment. Psychologists tell us that if you do anything for 40 days, it becomes like a habit. So I'm thinking, well, if you want to change your life, if you want to understand God better, if you want to grow in your relationship with Him, how about 90 days every morning you're going to read the book of Ephesians, and then in church you'll come every weekend, and we'll preach it to you and teach you what it's been saying. The book of Ephesians is highly influential in my life. In fact, the favorite part, my favorite part of it, is chapters 4, 5, and 6, so the best is yet to come. But the first three chapters set the foundation. Today is no exception. You're going to see foundational stuff hopefully foundational in your life as we get into it afterwards we're going to take communion together the lord's supper together and then i'm going to send you on your way for father's day celebration so can i just pray with you one more time he just prayed but lord i'm coming to you in the name of jesus on behalf of everyone here that you'll teach them the word of god lord we know these words are not just people's words that's inspired the scripture teaches of itself It teaches that it's God-breathed. It's not just ours. So may we think on that level, Lord, and be able to understand way beyond our own capacities to your capacity. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, there's probably nobody here that doesn't want a better life, doesn't want to get more out of your life, right? You'd like to have more fun, wouldn't you? You'd like to have more fulfillment in your life, more satisfaction, more peace, more joy, more love, right? Wouldn't you want that? Who wouldn't want more? Well, in fact, I've noticed as I've aged, as I've gotten older, there seems to be a lot of people that are very much aggressive and after more, and by the time they get my age or even a little bit older, they've reached the top of the pile in their career, There may be president of the company or CEO or they've got all these awards, but I often see these same people at the bottom of the pile in satisfaction, fulfillment, peace, fun, joy, the things I'm talking about. They thought they were going for more and they actually ended up with less. I wonder if there's anybody here that feels that that way now or if you're still aggressively after more. Well, do you understand The scripture teaches that all the things I just listed, more peace, more joy, more fun, more fulfillment, are all things invented and created by God. Human beings didn't create these things. God did. And you also know the scriptures teach very clearly that God wants you to have these things. That's what heaven's about. He's going to bring us there for everlasting peace. He's going to bring us there for, for, for joy that overflows. He's going to bring us there for complete fulfillment. That's what God wants for us. In fact, the scriptures teach it very clearly, like John chapter 10, verse 10. It says here, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came, Jesus said, that they may have life and have it abundantly. I, this is what God wants for you. Or this one in the Old Testament, in the book of Jeremiah. you've heard this, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Well, then what's the problem? How come so many people don't seem to get this? It's because we believe the lie. The lie mankind's believed from the very beginning. Adam and Eve bought the lie that there was more life outside God than there was inside God. There's more life outside Christ than there is in Christ, which we say are the two key words of the book of Ephesians. In fact, the whole New Testament, in Christ. And we believe the lie. I'm gonna have more fun. I'm gonna have more fulfillment. I really believe at the bottom of everybody's life that ends up hopeless or disappointed or even suicidal. Like nowadays we're hearing about all these celebrities from, from Robin Williams to, uh, what was that a guy's name, um, that just, uh, Anthony, Anthony Bourdain and, and Kate Spade and so many others that we hear about. They were at the top of the pile in their career, but at the bottom of the pile in their fulfillment because I think they thought they could get it outside God, outside Christ. I wonder if that's true of everybody that ends up ending their life early. They've gone down the wrong path. Those of us who have found Christ, if you've found Christ as your Savior and Lord, you realize you're in Christ, you have the best chance of finding fulfillment of anybody on the planet Earth. Jesus said it, I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. You have the best chance of finding hope of peace, true peace that lasts. Jesus said, I came to give you peace. It can be yours. Now, if you're frustrated not getting there, frustrated because it's not happening for you or disappointed, could it be? That this passage of scripture we're going to read today could give you instruction where the Apostle Paul's trying to teach us how to live in Christ. Unless you want to believe the lie. I put down here how to develop your life in Christ. That's really what this whole sermon's about in this last part of chapter three of the book of Ephesians. And what I want to try and get to is the uh, reality of this in your life. And I think that's what the Apostle Paul was writing about. Um, For example, how do you go to work in Christ? How do you play? How do you play a game? How do you play softball? I know how to play it outside Christ. (laughs) How do you play it in Christ? How do you... you, have fun with your your kids on Father's Day in Christ. How do you how do you live with your wife or your your husband in in Christ? What does it look like? What does it feel like? What is what is the sensation of it? What's it supposed to be like? One of the major differences that happens to us when we become a Christian is we're now discovering a new way of life. It's called the new self compared to the old self in Scripture. And He's trying to help the Ephesian Christians, and God's using the same letter to help us understand. That we can have a new life now in Christ. But so many, please listen to me, so many Christians don't ever get there. I've even had people in our church end their life early. Like, what? You're that dissatisfied, that unhappy, that you would end it? Somehow you miss the gospel. Somehow you miss the truth that life is found in Christ and God wants you to have it, well then what stops us? The lie. That we can somehow have more fun, more fulfillment, more joy, with just more money, and more success, and more stuff, and more... uh, What? Do you see the difference here? Hopefully you do, and hopefully you can come to understand this. It's not just getting more degrees, or, or more success, or more... You know, is this in Christ business through just studying the Bible more or praying more? No, it's more than that. It's a commitment to living in Christ. And Paul unfolds it here in three easy points in my mind, and I wanted to share those with you. So the first point in your sermon outline provided for you in your bulletin reads like this. It's by developing my inner life with God. Look what he says here is he ends chapter 3 and gets on to chapter 4, 5, and 6 where he gets into the real practice of it. This is like the end of the theological basis, and he's saying this. For this reason, and he's going to pray now, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner being. Let's just stop right there. The first thing he wants to pray for you, the first thing he wants to pray for you, and the first thing he wants to pray for me and all the Christians that he's trying to write to here, which is not just one church. This letter was distributed to hundreds of different people in different churches. He's saying, well, first thing, you need to understand, I'm asking God to do something in your inner being, your inner life. Paul, became a Christian on the road to Damascus. Remember, he's a Jew going there to persecute Christians, and he gets struck off his horse, and and God cries out from heaven, Jesus cries out, Paul, Paul, why?" or Saul then, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Remember that? But Paul knows that it all began as he went from that point onward, what changed in his inner life. Did you ever think about, I mentioned some people who committed suicide. It's like, Everybody committed suicide. Something was wrong in the beginning in their inner life. The suicide was just the outer life expression of it. All your depression, all the problems you face, all the difficulties you run into in your outer life are just a reflection of what's going on in your inner life. And so Paul knows that and says, Well, first, first I pray that some radical would happen, some strange, not human, but God-led would happen in your inner life. Your inner being, he calls it, because he knows real change starts there, and so he's praying for them for their inner life. Notice he calls it the riches of his glory. The apostle Paul went on to grow, hopefully challenging these, challenging these Christians too to grow, as well as you and me to grow in your inner life, because he says it's like discovering treasure; it's discovering riches. And he's praying that they would be wise enough to understand that their future life and their life with their kids and their life with their spouse and their career, all this stuff is all dependent on one thing, their inner life. But when a pastor stands in front of them or a Bible writer writes to them and says, hey man, you got to work on in your inner life, they go, gosh, I just don't have time. Really? You're too busy busy in your outer life that you don't have time to work on your inner life do you understand that's how someone ends up at suicide do you understand that's how someone ends up at the end of their life disappointed with their life unfulfilled with their life do you understand this is what where a lot of divorce starts in their inner life you're not paying attention to the inner life You're not feeding on the Lord inside your soul and your soul goes hungry because you're just too busy with your outer life. Oh, man, is this horrible in America in epidemic proportions with jobs and careers and cars and the telephone and the stuff that's going on and games and Facebook and this and that. We're just running, running, running and our inner life is dying. So, Paul knows that. He's been there, done that. And he's saying, Don't do that. I'm going to pray. The first thing I'm going to pray for you, he says, is your inner life. Because where you end up in your life is all dependent upon your inner being. Are you doing anything about that? How's your inner life? It comes through in your emotions, your private thoughts. The words come out of your mouth, come from your heart. Your attitudes, your depression, your joy. So when I say, don't you want more? Don't you realize where the more comes from? You, in your, Lord, in your, in your soul with the Lord, this is, this is why I, I put the 90-day challenge out there. This is why I'm, I'm saying, come on, just try it for 90 days. Just try it. Every day you're going to read the Bible. Every day you're going to pray. Every, every weekend you're going to come to church. Just try it. Watch what happens when you start paying attention to what's going on inside. And I don't know if how, how I can scream it louder. And when I hear about these celebrities killing themselves, I'm thinking, gosh, I wish I had 10 minutes, just 10 minutes to talk with you because you've somehow let the rot just get there and you haven't dealt with it. Oh, hear me, Christian. You've got to deal with this stuff in your inner life. There's really no hope for any of us without it. Don't get too busy to do it. Secondly, he's saying here, I'm going to pray that your inner life, you minister to that, and secondly, I'm going to pray that you develop some comprehension of God. Look at verse 17. He's saying, I'm going to pray that you work on the inner life so that. Well, so that is a purpose statement. In other words, here's the resulting effect. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you being rooted and grounded in love. Let's just stop right at verse 17. He's saying the resulting effect of working on this inner life should be a strengthening. And, and then that will lead to what we call this comprehension he's talking about. But before he gets there, he says this, that you being rooted and grounded, rooted and grounded are both Greek words that talk about stabilizing, like a tree is stabilized by its roots, and a building is built by its grounding, right, its foundation. And he's using these two words to say you need to get rooted and grounded. Now, whenever in my life I've seen things falling apart, it's, it's because I wasn't grounded too good. And when I hear celebrities killing themselves, I think, whoa, they were on shifting sand. (laughs) They weren't grounded too good. You see, what's really going on in your inner life starts to show whether you were grounded or not. Are you grounded? Are you stabilized? Have you gotten in the word deep enough to let that happen to your soul? Once it happens to your soul, it can come out in your life. It's only through the trials and tribulations when the wind blows and the storm comes and you realize how strong and stable, grounded you are. Testing's not wrong. It's necessary, the scriptures teach. But it reveals your grounding. Now look what he goes on to say. He's praying for their comprehension then. He says, okay, the rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breath and the length, and the height, and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Those are not just religious words or somehow trying to to paint a picture far beyond our comprehension. God's giving them these words to try and help the people understand. They need some new strengthening in their comprehension, some new comprehension. And he, 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 uh, he's using imagery of grounding and, and, and saying, you know, this is what needs to happen. I, I like to often use um, visual aids, right? I got a few of them here. I got two of them here for you today. One of them is this tape measure. Because I don't know if you noticed, did you notice all the terms he says are, are measuring terms? He says these words like breath and length and height and depth. Aren't those measuring terms? Now, my dad taught me how to use tape measure. Did your dad teach you? And the, I will never forget dad saying, all right, this is an old carpenter's line, right? Measure once, you'll probably have to cut twice to make it fit. Measure twice, you only have to cut once. Remember that? Oh, I remember dad tell me that. So, you know, you measure it twice. What he's saying is make sure you got the measurement right, and then you only have to cut it once, and it will fit. I think of, of the fit being very significant, what he's talking about here. You need some new comprehension in your life to fit with God. That's what he's getting at. And it's just like when you and I go to the store to buy some clothes, like buy some shoes. I remember when I was just young, I, I went to the store and there was these shoes and, and, and they were really, really cheap. And I'm like a college student, I can't, I can't afford much. And these are nice shoes, these shoes I wanted, but, and they're like half price. But they weren't quite the right size. Like, I wear eight and a half, nine. These were like eights. I thought, well, I'll stretch them. They'll they'll work. So I spent the money. It's half price. But they hurt all the time. I got blisters and everything. It didn't fit. Do you feel that way about the Christian life? Doesn't really fit me. It's not really my style. It's not really who I am. Could it be your lack of comprehension? Could it be your lack of measurements? Measurements? You didn't measure God. You didn't measure yourself. No wonder it doesn't fit. Or when you buy a pair of pants or girls buy a skirt or guys buy a shirt or blouse, it's really important the length of the sleeves and the the chest measurement, the neck, right? It's really important that you get the, the right size on the leg. Otherwise, the pants are too short or they're too long or they're too tight or... Measurement is really important. When you talk about grounding, he's saying you're not grounded because you're not measuring the height and the depth and the length and the width and the breadth. He says you got to measure, God. You need to measure yourself. And often the reason we don't fit and our life doesn't seem to be working is because of our lack of measuring ourselves. Now, this is a tape measure for measuring stuff. There's all kinds of measuring tools. As you know, if you're building something or doing something, there's a lot of measuring tools. Well, I'm talking about spiritual things here, right? Not not mechanical things. So what are the spiritual tools of measurement? The Bible gives us three. Let me just give you this for free. It's not even in the passage. Three, Three tools of measurement talked about throughout the New Testament. Number one is what? The Word of God. You need to have the Word of God to measure. You measure yourself by the Word of God. This is inspired words, divine revelation from the divine revealed to us. This is it. You aren't going to know. Talk about comprehension. You will not comprehend God without what He's revealed. You're limited to your own comprehension, and your own comprehension, as he said here, just isn't adequate, and it won't fit to you. It won't Like, what's he doing? Doesn't make sense to me. Why would God say that? Why would God do that? You know why you're asking those questions? You're using human comprehension. You need God's comprehension. The Word of God is the first measuring tool. The second measuring tool is what? The Spirit of God. He even refers to the Spirit here. If we had more time, I'd show you through the Scriptures. In fact, we're doing a whole series on the Holy Spirit in the fall. The Holy Spirit comes into us. This is what makes us born again. The Spirit is what puts us into the body of Christ, being in Christ, called baptism in the Holy Spirit. I could go on about the filling of the Spirit. We need the Spirit of God, which means I'm going to rest in God. I'm going to trust God to give me the promptings, the desire, the want to, the conscience when I do things wrong. That's the Spirit of God. And then lastly, the people of God. So you got the Word of God, the Spirit of God, and the people of God, the three measuring tools God has given us to measure our life. You see, here's what what I mean by measuring you because I can measure God all I want, learn all about Him, but guess what? He doesn't change. Which means what? I got to change. He doesn't fit me, I got to fit Him. So that's why He's praying for our comprehension. Because when you're all questioning and you're all mad at him and you're all frustrated, the problem is you. You aren't fitting him. You need some comprehension here, especially if you're angry with God. And listen to me. Well, I remember working in a psych ward with, with Dr. Paul Meyer, a Christian psychiatrist. He says, oh, most people in the psych ward are here for the same reason. They go, what? They're mad. They're mad? Yeah, probably at God, mostly. Wait a minute. It can't be that simple. He says, Yeah. It really is. And it's extremely complex. Very hard to figure out. Hard for people to even comprehend and understand. Them. But basically, they're holding a grudge against God. That will depress anybody. says, look at the Bible. Over and over, biblical characters, same thing. you got to work that through. you got to work on the inner life. you got to get some comprehension. That's what he's talking about here. And it's all by measurement. And the sad truth is, some of us don't even look at our inner life or pay attention to it. We're too busy, and then we're not measuring nothing. Not our behavior, not our attitudes, not our thinking, not our feeling, not the reading a book, understanding, and even talking to other Christians, other believers. Remember, I got three measuring tools. The Word of God, Spirit of God, the people of God. That's the second thing we learn third one is this. We can develop our dependence upon God. Look at verses 20 through... Well, did I read the rest? Yeah, I did. Okay, verses 20 through 21. Now, this is the ending of it. Look how it reads. Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Boy, does that sound optimistic, right? Doesn't that sound absolutely fantastic? How come he can end this section here, right in the middle of the book, with such optimism? Now, because he's focusing on God's ability and God's glory. I don't want you to forget that. We're coming back to this idea of glory. Glory. They're glory-focused. glory focused and when your life is focused on the glory of God, everything in your life will change. Listen to me. I'm, I'm not just blown smoke. Huh? I, this isn't just religious talk. Please listen to me. Your whole life will change. The inner life, the comprehension, and everything when you start to realize, because the Apostle Paul realized, I used to live, he thinks, for my glory. You know what the word glory means? It means credit, honor, respect. Um, admiration. It means the idea that you're going to get, uh, the you know, we, we, we glorify the Philadelphia Eagles. What does that mean? Well, they won the Super Bowl. We give them honor. We give them recognition. We give them praise. Well, it's the same for God. When I live, what the Bible tells me to do, for the glory of God, I'm living for His recognition, His honor. His respect. When the choir sings that song with Doug and he's singing, why do we get all excited and get chills? Because it's giving glory to God. Recognition, respect, honor. And we were made for that. So these people are being challenged by the Apostle Paul. You are being challenged by the Apostle Paul to give God the honor, the glory, the respect he deserves. So I was struggling with this thinking, all right, how do I communicate about glory? I mean, this, in the Bible, the word glory is a really big deal. So much so, I mean, if you've ever read, um, one of my favorite uh, thinkers or theologians or pastors is a guy named John Piper. And he flat out says, we're living here for the glory of God. God's recognition, God's honor, God's praise. He created us, we live for His glory. So I thought, let let me read how he defines glory. And here's what he says. It's really hard. (laughs) He gives a couple other ideas of things you can define. He says, but trying to define glory is like trying to define beauty. And beauty, as we all know, is in the eye of the beholder, right? One person thinks something's beautiful and someone else goes, man, that's so much, you know? Beauty is something defined in in your heart, in your mind, in your soul. He says, how do you define beauty? He says, well, that's how hard it is to define glory. It's that honor, that recognition that you give something. So when he said that, I thought of an imagery. I thought of another visual aid. So they brought them out here for us, a couple of them. I thought of a flower. Let me ask you this question. What is the glory of this plant? Is the glory in the roots and the dirt? No. Is the glory in the leaves and the branches? Well, no. If there's credit or honor or recognition, it's in the flowers, right? Especially these, these are blue. I don't know if you know, but blue flowers are pretty rare. A lot easier to find red ones or pink ones or yellow ones. Blue is kind of rare. So this is maybe even more glorious, right? It's got blue. It's beautiful. So the glory of the plant is in the flower. In the same way, you and I were created to flower for God, to be beautiful for God. We were were made to live for the glory of God, not the glory of the roots or the glory of the leaves. The glory is in the flower, the praise, the fragrance, the joy, the love we have for God. That's the glory of God that we live for. But, when you believe the lie that there's more glory outside God than there is inside God more glory in your life in yourself and you getting the recognition and you getting the respect and you getting the honor it's like this it's like you're coming along saying well I don't really live for the glory anymore nah it's about me that's like you saying the glory of the plant is in the roots. Glory of the plant is in the branches, in the leaves. When the truth is, the roots, the branches, the leaves are all for the flower. Last night I had a lady here, I thought she was going to cry when I cut the flowers. <laughs> I, heard, I heard hardly any moans here. But that moan, those tears are what happened to your life. Listen to me. It's what happens to your life. No wonder you're depressed. You're living for the wrong thing. You were made to live for the flower. And you're living for the branch. You're living for the leaves. You're living for the dirt and the roots. No wonder it doesn't fit and it doesn't seem right and it doesn't measure correctly and there's no inner. Yeah. You're not living for the glory of God. It's like you're cutting off the flower and your life doesn't seem so beautiful, that's because it's not. You're not living for what you were made for. You're made to live for the flower. Don't worry, I won't cut this one. You're made to live for the glory of the flower, the glory of God. And the sooner you get that straight in your life, and Paul understood that about the Ephesian Christians, uh, the sooner they get this clear that they're living for the glory of God now, not for the glory of their credit, what their recognition or what other people think of them. See, this is why we get so depressed and we get so down. Well, I'm not getting the honor I deserve. I'm not, nobody's respecting me, and I don't have the recognition, and I should be here, and they should give me applause. It's like, I, <sighs> you're living for the roots, the dirt, the branches. Aren't you here for the glory of God? And when you get that straight in your heart and your mind, and Paul knows that, so he has this glorious end to this chapter, saying it's all about the glory, and that glory focus changes everything. Are you are you focused on that? I, I think you're on the wrong path if you're not, and you're probably going to get pretty depressed, pretty down, pretty disappointed. You might even end up at the top of the pile in your career, but at the bottom of the pile in your fulfillment. So I'd like to pray with you right now, and then I'm gonna take the Lord's Supper with you. And I'm gonna use these two visual aids, the tape measure and the plant, to help you take the Lord's Supper with me. Would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you that you've called us to yourself, and where we get there is through our inner life with you. Right now, we need to spend a few minutes working on our soul, Lord. Would you help each person here as they contemplate, as they think, and help us measure correctly as we try and measure our life and measure you, the height, the depth, the width, the breadth. Lord, we've got to go deeper in our measuring. And not just the outer man, but the inner man. So that we can come to the place, Lord, where we live for your glory, not ours. Oh, forgive us, Lord, for the way we've done this wrong. Help us live for your glory. Help us comprehend that now beyond our own comprehension as we think for the next few minutes about Jesus and his death and resurrection for us. In Jesus' name, amen.